Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Look at Acts chapter 15, and uh, we're going to look at verses 12 and following. Grace attitude. Grace attitudes, if you want to think of it that way. When God comes into your life and God begins to work in your life and God begins to change you, there are expressions of his life, his love, his attitudes through us. And this morning I want to look at several things in the midst of this passage and just kind of bring out what I believe is very clearly there with regard to the unity of the early church and their attitude towards certain things. Their first attitude is really towards the authority of Scripture. They had a high view of the Word of God. The Word of God is is what for them guided them, directed them. They were willing uh, that their lives would be changed and adjusted to what the Word of God had to say. And I think that's essential in our day and age that we have that attitude. And I want to encourage you in this. All of this is in the context of an attack on grace and an establishment and an affirmation that grace plus anything is not grace. It's God's grace that changes us. It's God's grace that transforms us. It's God himself who accomplishes these things in and through our lives. As believers, we know that the Lord loves us, and as a result, there's nothing that we have to do in order to try to get God to love us more. There's nothing that we can do to get God to love us less. Grace is grace. Grace is the free expression with joy by God in Christ to each and every one of us. And as a result, we're secure in the love of Christ. Now we get to walk with him. And we know that we get to experience his life as he transforms us from the inside out to where our attitudes and our activities begin to reflect what's going on in here, in the inside, in the heart. There's an attitude towards the authority of scripture. There's an attitude towards the willingness to abstain from cultural norms. This is fascinating, the response of the Gentile believers to what James and the church in Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders, tell them to do. And they rejoice in it. I love it. Such a beautiful expression of a grace attitude. And in the midst of that, there's an attitude towards authority. And again, that's a grace attitude. It is a willingness to trust the Lord first and foremost, and to receive from the Lord through people that he has placed in leadership roles what God's will is in alignment with Scripture, with the Word of God. So look at Acts chapter 15, look at verse 12. It says, All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. 
so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Now, if you remember last week, the picture's been set, right? There's an attack uh, on justification, the fancy word for being saved. There's an attack on sanctification, which is for the believer who has been saved and is now walking with the Lord. Both of those attacks were attacks on grace. Both of those ideas were you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved and or, as what happened in Jerusalem, once you're saved... In order to be approved, then you've got to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Peter stands up. There's much argument. There's much debate about this. The church sends uh, Paul and Barnabas from Antioch to Jerusalem. And then they get there. There's much debate. Peter stands up. And in verse 11 of the previous chapter, he says, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Case closed. Peter has referred to the fact that he was called by God to take the message of the gospel, faith in Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles. And he recounts to them the story of Cornelius and how he came into the Gentiles' home. This centurion who had been told by a divine messenger to go get him. And Peter, at the same time, had a vision from above of all the animals, the unclean animals, And the Lord telling Peter, hey, what I've called clean, don't you declare as unclean. Peter takes that and recognizes that's from the Lord, recognizes that God is directing him to go to this Gentile's house, Cornelius. He arrives and he sees all the Gentiles that are gathered there. He begins to proclaim to them the Lord Jesus Christ and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the same way that took place at Pentecost. Clearly, from God, clearly from the Lord, these Gentiles clearly becoming believers. Now they're being told, well, you've got to do certain things. You've got to add to grace in order for this to be substantiated in your life. And or, as is the first case, well, your salvation wasn't really true because you didn't do these things. So in the midst of that, There's much debate, there's much conversation. (laughs) That's a polite way of putting it. They're sharing what God has done. Verse 12 says, all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I think that's a fascinating statement. To this point, it's been with them, with them. Now all of a sudden it it changes and it's through them. They're giving God the glory. They're not taking any credit for themselves. They're making sure that people understand this is what God had done through us, indicating that God had to do something in them first so that they would be vessels prepared for his good works so that God would be glorified through their attitudes, through their activities, and that through them the Lord would be proclaimed. So they're all listening. James stands up. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I think it's fascinating what he does here. He doesn't say, Simeon, way to go. Awesome story. Wow. Doesn't that take care of it for everybody? 
What does he do? He appeals to the authority of Scripture. He takes what Simon has said. He calls him Simeon, Simon. And he validates it, not on the basis of experience. He validates God's will and what God has done on the basis of God's word. Is this anything new? And what can we learn from that? Do we allow our circumstances to be validated by the word of God? Or do we take the word of God and somehow place them under the authority of our circumstances? How, how do we view scripture? How do we view the importance of the word of God? James makes it clear and he says something very specific in verse 15. He says, with this the words of the prophets agree. Now he only quotes one particular passage, but he says prophets because he could have chosen quite a few different passages in order to validate this, in order to establish what God was doing through the Jewish people with regard to the Messiah onto the nations, onto the Gentiles. But he just chooses one, and he makes it very clear that Scripture validates what they were seeing, what they were experiencing. The Lord has always had his eye on the nations. The Lord has always had his eye on the ethnic groups or the Gentiles. The whole purpose of the Jewish nation was that the Messiah would come through them and that all the nations of the earth, all the Gentiles, would be blessed through them. This is the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. The Lord says this, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul explains it in Galatians. He's writing to the Gentile believers. Uh, The Judaizers had come into the church in Galatia. They were trying to place these people under law, and many of them had placed themselves back up under the tutor. And Paul in Galatians 3.8 says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that they would be saved in the same way that we are, which is by faith in Christ Jesus alone, by grace. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Wow. You see what James is doing? establishing the experience. He's validating what has happened by going to the word of God in order to make sure that the word of God is what is lifted up as being of primary importance. You know, it's interesting. Jonah is a wonderful story. For those of you who know the story of Jonah, you understand the whole picture there. Jonah was not a happy camper because he didn't like the Gentiles. In fact, it's uh, almost hilarious to the degree that he goes in order to get away from preaching to the Ninevites uh, the message of repentance. And he goes, and he gets swallowed by this whale. He gets, uh, for lack of a better word, and there's many that we could use, thrown up onto the beach. I've said this before, and it just captures my mind. I don't know why. Maybe it's a little twisted, but I wonder what Jonah looked like at that point. Because it would have been funny to be the fishermen on the beach that had watched this. And to hear their report going back to the city going, you can't believe this guy that just got, you know, out 
of the whale on the beach. And so Jonah goes through and they repent. But he's so hardened in his heart towards these Gentiles. He's so angry at them and he so doesn't want them to repent that he goes up and he sits on on a hill in order to watch God destroy this city. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, his heart was really in his preaching, right? Right? Come on, people, repent. I mean, the passion in it must have been just really ridiculous. And God does a work, even in spite of his attitude and in spite of what he doesn't want to take place. God allows a plant to grow up, puts shade over him, undoubtedly because his skin had been just really not in a good place. You know, he needed uh, Olay or whatever this stuff is called. You know, he needed something. SPF 500. I mean, you know. And a worm comes, kills the plant, and Jonah's more upset about that than he is about this city. And it's fascinating what the Lord says to him. How the Lord rebukes him. The Lord's attitude towards the Gentiles. Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, he says, The Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Wow. I believe what the Lord's referring to there is children. 120,000 children. They don't know the right hand from the left hand. Little kids. Jonah, you're more concerned about a plant than you are about these people that I created. God has always had a heart for the Gentile nations. He's always had his eye on us. What a blessing to know that. James establishes the experience that the early church is going through. He validates what it is that they're going through by the word of God. Are we doing that in everything? Do you realize how many people come to church on Sunday and then they go and live at work whatever they want or live at home in a whole different way? How many people put on facades and walk in and I'm fine, I'm great, I'm good, I'm, I'm doing well and yeah, I had a, a wonderful time with the Lord and all this kind of stuff and then you go and you watch how they live throughout the week? How many of us are, are really literally submitting to the authority of the word of God? And many of you are, and praise God for that. Boy, we need to validate what it is that we say that God is doing through the authority of Scripture. We need to make sure that when we say this is what God's will is, that we're validating that on the basis of God's word. Not on our feelings, not on our experiences, not on what we want or our motivations, our agendas, but rather what does the word of God say? If the word of God doesn't say it, if this isn't God's will revealed through the word of God, then why do we want anything to do with that? Well, there's the authority of Scripture. There's also the abstinence from cultural norms. And this is interesting to me. I I was trying to put it into all kinds of ways that would relate to us. I'm going to let you fill in the blank, okay? 
But verse 19 says, Therefore, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things. And he gives us four things to abstain from, to be separated from. Things contaminated by idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, this is an amazing moment for the church because you have the Jews, you have the Gentiles, you have believers in Christ from both groups. You have the establishment of grace. You have the recognition that salvation is by grace in Christ alone. That it is by faith, it is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for what he alone is able to do in our lives that we are saved. It is not by works. And it's for the Jews and the Gentiles. So we have this issue of circumcision and and where does the law of Moses fit into this? And it's very clear from what James is saying that he's establishing the fact that salvation is by grace alone. He's agreeing with Peter. And in the midst of that, he, understand that there, he understands there's a cultural reality. He understands that there's going to be an offense to many of the Jewish people. In every city, the law of Moses is being read. And James understands that if these believers, these Gentiles, take their freedom and bash other people with it, that there's going to be a divide within the church. That the message that they are proclaiming to the Gentiles is that you don't need to be circumcised either prior to coming to Christ or after coming to Christ. You don't need to keep the law of Moses prior to coming to Christ or after coming to Christ. That's without say. That would undercut grace. That would add to grace in a way that suddenly grace is no longer grace. But in the midst of that, he knows there's a relational problem. And they want to deal with that. Because unity and the love of the brethren is essential for the health and the growth of the body of Christ. And so he gives them four things. Abstain from these things. Abstain from these cultural norms. Don't eat food that has been contaminated or offered to the idols. Abstain from fornication. Fornication is the word pornea. We get the word pornos, we get pornography from this word. The word pornea or fornication is the umbrella word for every deviant sexual sin that you could possibly imagine. Literally, any sexual activity that is outside of marriage. That includes premarital sex. I've had people, I've had parents come to me and say, where's premarital sex in the word of God? Right there, the word pornea covers it. It's premarital. It's before marriage, which means it's outside of marriage. Adultery is covered in this. All kinds of pornographic activity is covered in this. And every other kind of deviant sexual behavior is covered in this. This is the umbrella term for any type of sexual behavior. Now, it's very clear that that particular sin, that particular issue, which in the Gentile world had had stamped upon it religious approval because they would go to the temples and part of their whole rites, part of their whole worship was deviant sexual behavior. 
And so that is super cultural. That cuts across every culture. It cuts across every time period of the church. It's still in effect today. You can look at other passages in the New Testament to see that pornea is a part of the flesh. It has nothing to do with, God, with what God is able to do in and through us. How we are to be a holy people, peculiar to him, set apart. That our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That we are to honor him with who we are, with our bodies. But the other three things are in effect dietary stuff. Don't eat the meats that have been offered to idols. Don't eat the meats that have been killed by strangulation. Don't eat the meats that still have blood in it. And what James and the apostles and the elders are coming alongside of these Gentile believers and affirming to them is, yes, salvation is by grace in Christ alone. Amen. But we're going to ask you to abstain from these things. In fact, we're going to literally tell you to abstain from these things for the sake of unity, for the sake of relationships, to make sure that the witness and the testimony of the church, both Jew and Gentile alike, who have been saved in the same way by the grace of Christ Jesus, who have been cleansed in their hearts by the Holy Spirit in the same way, that that testimony is not diminished to the world, that we don't get off on a tangent here. We keep our eyes on the main thing. And that's exactly what he's dealing with. Several years ago, and it wasn't last year, I was in Ukraine last year as well, and this is probably almost 15 years ago. I went to the Ukraine on a missions trip. <laughs> it was really interesting. We, uh, the church that I was with, Mount Dora, Florida, had gone there for probably about 10 years. They had built relationships with a bunch of the people. They did a, uh, a youth camp every year, and so they had all kinds of stuff. Boy, some of the stories out of that was amazing. I went there, and, and this is the first time I'd ever been, and so it was a new experience for me. In the midst of that, they asked me to come to a church in order to preach on a Sunday morning, which I, I did, and during that particular service, they had communion, which was their normal practice. One cup. <laughs> I was last. <laughs> I was in prayer. <laughs> I watched that cup go from person to person to person, and they would take that cup. Maybe you've been in a service like this, and they would, they would, the person would take that sip, and the person would wipe off the, the lip of it. And I thought, dear Lord, after 200 people, I'm putting my mouth on that thing. Please keep me safe. You know, I, I don't know what's going on here. I know I'm not to be sacrilegious, um, but that was kind of what was going through my mind because it was a new, uh, a bit of a, a cultural experience for me. <laughs> Well, the thing was, is, is there was wine in the cup. It wasn't uh, good old Welch's grape juice or whatever we use. And so I was watching our students because many of them had never had wine. For many people, wine is a sin. You don't want to do that. I believe we're free in that. I believe the scripture is clear. We don't get drunk. But be that as it may, some of these students... They had never had wine. And so I'm watching them carefully because I'm a shepherd. <laughs> and I want to make sure they're okay. And we got to the last guy in our student group. He was in college. His nickname was Dagwood. Does that tell you anything about the guy? He was hilarious. He was a piece of work, you know. 
brain dead, heaven's sakes, but he was funny as all get out. And he goes and he takes a big old swig, man. <laughs> that, cup, that cup was, I don't know. Boy, he shot Bolt straight up right in his chair. He started looking around like, what in the name of Mike are they giving me? And I thought, oh, Lord, give him grace, give him grace, give him grace. <laughs> we got to me, and thank the Lord I never got sick. We got back to the place we were staying, and Dagwood and I had talked about it. He's like, I can't believe they didn't. What, why did they give us that? I can't believe they did that. Don't, don't they know that that would offend us? And I said, bro, we're in their culture. That's... That's one of those things that it's okay. God knows your heart. God knows their hearts. Let it go. For the sake of unity, let it go. About 10 minutes later, we had a Russian translator. And we nicknamed, I have nicknames for everybody. You don't know this, but I really do. Because uh, it, it keeps me sane. But anyway, the point is his name, we nicknamed him Taz for the Tasmanian devil. Okay? Because everywhere he, get, everywhere he went, he was like a circular buzzsaw. I mean, he was amazing to watch. And we had a lot of fun with him. You know, dear guy, precious guy, just a hilarious personality. Well, he comes running up to me and bow-legged. And man, he looked like Popeye on steroids. And he's coming at me. And he says, Eric, one of your youth offended me today. It was clear that he uh, did not like what was in that cup during communion, and, and it was embarrassing for the whole church. I looked at him and I said, brother, can I ask you something? Can we turn this around for a moment? And instead of you being so worried about being offended by him, can we kind of talk through the fact that you may have offended him because he's never had a taste of alcohol in his life and he thinks that it's a sin and for him to take communion with alcohol was a new experience and it was really difficult for him to do that, but he's willing to lay it down. Are you willing to lay down his response? He, he kind of looked at me, took a step back, he said, I, I never thought of it that way. And so we preserved unity. Folks, that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about here. It's interesting because later on in Romans chapter 14, Paul deals with this issue of meat sacrifice to idols, and he doesn't say that it's wrong, and he doesn't go back to this decision by the council and say, oh, you remember that uh, decision that was made? We, we're still under that. This was for a specific time, for a specific season. It wasn't necessarily something that was going to be long-lasting. But for that particular moment, it was essential that the people understood that unity and the relationships with one another was paramount to cultural norms. It had the priority. Let me ask you something this morning. What is it that you think you have a right to do or to participate in, and you're going to hang on to it for all you're worth, even when it offends your brother? And I'm not talking about Pharisees. I'm not talking about people that like to take the law and twist it and use it for their own glory and for their own honor, and they like to use it as a badge in order to put everybody else under a standard that they themselves can't keep. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about truly offending a dear brother or sister in Christ. What is it that we hold on to that maybe the Lord's saying, let it go, let it go. Preserve the unity. Be willing 
to acknowledge the cultural norms and let them go for the sake of the testimony of the love of Christ within the body of believers so that the testimony is not diminished into the world so that when we go and we talk about how Christ loves them, they can see it in action right here. That's the issue. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to walk in that? So there's an attitude A grace attitude towards Scripture, the authority of Scripture. There's a grace attitude in the abstinence from cultural norms. They they were willing to do this. I I think the last point is interesting. It's that there's an attitude towards authority. Verse 22, he says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. So they write this letter. They come to the decision. They write this letter to the Gentiles uh, who are in these particular areas. They send Paul and Barnabas to them, and they also send witnesses, Judas and Silas, to go along and to be a part of testifying about this decision. I think it's interesting that the whole church was a part of this. Obviously, the apostles and elders had met in order to look into the matter. Clearly, the apostles and elders had primary decision-making aspects here. They, They were the ones that are appointed by the Lord in that particular way, but they didn't just impose it upon the church. They let the church know, and the Holy Spirit within the church brought them to one mind. I think that's important. Folks, when we make decisions, again, we can get into these arguments about whose decision it is to make whatever uh, needs to be done, to make decisions about whatever needs to be done. Folks, ultimately, it is the Lord's decision. It's not ours. Elders are not here to impose decisions upon a congregation. We are here to establish the authority of Scripture, and we're to make sure that the, the Lord himself is heard. It's the Lord's decisions that we're looking for, not ours, not our personal preferences, not what we want, not based on our taste, not based on our experiences or what we think or what we see or what's expedient for us. And it should be that way for everybody. It should be that way in all of our leadership groups. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. It's about the body of Christ. It's about what is God doing? Where is he leading? So the whole church participated in this, and I love that. What a testimony to the world of God's grace, because it's God's grace that allows for that. It's God's grace that empowers us in that. Well, here's the letter. The apostles and brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. So they're writing specifically to the Gentile believers in these different regions. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things real quick in this. First, they acknowledge the Judaizers who came and created a disturbance which initiated this entire situation. And they made it very clear to the churches there, these individuals were not from us. We didn't give them the authority to say these things, and we don't agree with them. 
They also made sure that the people understood that they were affirming the positional authority of Paul and Barnabas, and they add this tagline to it, which carries a lot of weight. They have risked their lives for Jesus Christ. They're sold out. They're not vested in their own interests here. This is not about their power. This is not about their authority. This is not about them. This is about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have shown, they have proved that they're willing to lay down their lives for the Lord. I think that's extremely important. He goes on, he says, Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. They send witnesses. They send Judas and Silas to testify along with Paul and Barnabas about what the decision is. And I think it's a fascinating statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. (laughs) I think that's interesting, isn't it? In other words, they were following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This isn't their brilliance. This isn't what they came up with. This isn't their idea. Where did it originate from? It came from the Holy Spirit. They were following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was leading them, guiding them, directing them. And they were listening carefully. They were spending time in prayer. They were listening to the conversations. They were filtering those conversations to make sure they lined up with the word of God. And in the midst of it, this is what they believed the Holy Spirit led them to say. And then they put it this way. To lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. In other words, circumcision and doing all the the deeds or the activities of the law of Moses were setting that aside. You do not have to put yourself under that burden. But there are four things we're going to ask you to do. We're going to tell you to do. You're going to abstain from things sacrificed to idols. You're going to abstain from things that still have blood in them, and you're going to abstain from things that have been strangled and from fornication. Now, I I find this fascinating, don't you? Because I know my flesh. I like my rights. Don't you? Now, if you didn't shake your head one way or the other, it's because it's that Baptist frozen moment where you're not sure what to do and you're scared to death you're on camera and it'll be filmed and it'll be put on Facebook and the whole world will see it, you know? We're Americans, folks. We've been bathed in the atmosphere that we have certain inalienable rights given to us by God. And I think that's absolutely correct, yeah. (laughs) We'll have a counseling session for this individual. But we do, that's right. And there's a goodness about that, praise God. But when somebody comes and tells us what to do, sometimes we don't like it. What's their attitude? Because this is a grace attitude. Verse 30 says, When they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. 
And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, listen, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. Hey, this is an encouragement where we're playing a football game. We slap somebody and go, way to go, hallelujah, man, awesome play. This is encouragement where they're saying, we receive the instruction from our leaders. <laughs> they rejoiced. Do you realize that joy is produced by the Holy Spirit in us? The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. One of the characteristics of love is what? Joy. And you realize that the only way that anybody can have true joy from God being produced by the Holy Spirit in and through us is to be walking by grace. It's the only way. You can try to fake it. You can try to act like you're absolutely joyful. But down deep inside, you know that something's not right. It says they rejoiced. They had great joy because of the instruction, the encouragement that they received in this letter. I think that's beautiful. When somebody tells us these are the things that you need to do, and in effect, by doing that, we have to die to self in order to give up that which is something that's become a norm for us. What's our attitude? How do we reflect Christ in and through us at that particular moment in time? Judas and Silas in verse 32, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren. And I didn't write this, but every pastor, preacher in the history of mankind loves this little phrase with a lengthy message. <laughs> Come on. I like that. <laughs> That's biblical. <laughs> oh, I could spend a lot of time on that one. They encourage them. They strengthen them. What are they telling them? They're talking about the grace of Christ. The whole context here is, is the grace of Christ, our relationship with the Lord. Not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of what he has done for us. On our justification, on our sanctification, on the opportunity to walk with him in freedom and not be bound by certain things because the most important thing is faith working through love the most important thing is our walk with the Lord and our relationship with him and as a result our relationships with one another and if there's anything that would in any way get in that in the way of that unity in, the, in that relationship we're willing to lay it down because it really doesn't matter in light of eternity at all they were focused. I want you to catch this because in verse 33, after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. They went back. Judas went back with his entourage. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. That's kind of that foreshadowing moment. We know that the split between Paul and Barnabas is about to come up. God knew that already. And he's already provided for a team for Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. 
The, the issue that had come into the church that had created division had been dealt with in a spiritual, in a godly way. They had responded to it in a spiritual and godly way. And as a result, there was unity. And instead of being fragmented in their focus, they were focused on the main things, which is the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And if you look at the pattern in Acts, it was also prayer. And it says that they were able to share these things, the word of God, with many others. Boy, be encouraged in that. Folks, when we're unified, when we're focused on the main things, when we're willing to die to self, when we're willing to submit to the authority of the word of God, when we're willing to submit to the authority of our leaders, when we're willing to submit to the, uh, the needs of one another, we're able to focus in on the main things. And I believe God will give us an opportunity to share those things with many others. Become a useful tool in the hands of the Lord himself in order to take the gospel and spread it because we're living it. That's the issue. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.